All right, I heard that if you bring props, people pay attention. So I thought that I'd bring prop. All right. I'm just gonna leave it like this for now. Okay. As we get started, I want to read two passages. And as I was praying, asking what I should talk about this morning, God's like, talk about what you're doing. Talk about what you're doing. I was like, yes, that's fun. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what God is doing here. Um, but if you have your Bibles, Mark 4, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to read some scripture today, so if we can get up on the screen. There it is. And he, this is Jesus, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. So we're not going to read further, but further it talks about that he begins to tell them and teach them via parable. After he says this parable, we skip down to uh, verse 10, and we read this. After people have gone away, when he was alone, when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Verse 11, he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside... Everything comes in parables. So we see this beautiful picture of Jesus teaching the crowd, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Look what he's saying. But then his closest are like, hey, Jesus, we don't get it. <laughs> We're confused. And you know what that tells me? That the crowd left also puzzled, but God forbid they challenge a teacher to clarify. Because, you know, that's what we do, right? We just, we always tell people that we don't understand. Nah, we're always nodding. Yes, I get it. This is good. We smile, and then we walk away and thinking to ourselves, what in the world was that about? I don't understand. The good thing about Jesus' disciples was that they asked him, they asked him, they said, hey, um, can you explain this to us? So what I want to do is talk about this moment of being around Jesus with a crowd and what is the difference between the crowd and then the crew that went in and started talking with Jesus. So teaching is good. But if teaching does not lead to revelation, then we will never have an experience which leads to transformation with this truth. And in America, we love knowledge. We love to teach. We follow Bible teachers. We love to do devotionals. We love to study the Bible and, and learn and learn and learn. But then fewer of us actually go down and sit down with Jesus and say, Jesus, I need a revelation of what I just read. Have you ever had this 
moment where this verse that someone is reading, you're like, I've heard this before, but then something clicks where you're like, oh, that is amazing. Who's ever had that? Those are those moments of revelation where you're like, oh, this is neat, but then God shows up and reveals something to you. That revelation then leads to an experience where you can then say, hey, listen, God showed up. I was reading this. I was reading this, and, and God came in, and he showed me this, and it changed my life. It, it, it started this transformation, which then leads to what? More learning. I want more of what God has for me so that I can get more revelation of what God has, so I can have more experience, so I can be more and more transformed. We can agree that the crowd was not really transformed. They were impressed, but they were probably not transformed because as soon as Jesus was finished, they left. And we also read that they followed Jesus to get things from him. Who followed in the past Jesus to get something from him? Who's following now to get, never mind, I want to answer that. So I want to illustrate this whole idea of parable because it got me thinking, like, what is so significant about and how easy is it to think we understand something only to find out that we completely missed it? So I want to brought this little thing up. Ten things that I want to say about this. Okay? So let's pretend this is the, you guys are the crowd. No one knows. I see this thing. But I'm going to go ahead and share because I know what, what, what's in there. You don't. But I'm going to share a few things about this. Number one, what's in here is unifying and, dis, and divisive, yet it's powerful. What's in here, not everyone agrees with it. In fact, it actually makes many people very angry. Third thing about this is in some places it's illegal to have and is encouraged to use in other places and forbidden, and it, if you are found with this, you may even face death as a consequence for having one of these. Fourth is when improperly used, it could bring much destruction and chaos. So this generates lots of debates, lots of conversations. With some, it is the last thing on their mind, and with others, it's the first thing on their mind. Some are very afraid to go near this, while others embrace it without fear. People who have this, it's typically tucked away and hidden beyond reach, and it's only brought out for emergency or crisis situations. Some, some people carry this openly. Others conceal carry this. And yet others would never be caught dead in it, dead with it. Got two more. Number nine, this makes people uncomfortable, even pushes them on the edge, and even over the edge. Ten, it's contagious. So once you start using it, it's hard to go back because it changes your life. All right, so this would be like the parable of Jesus. And everyone's like, wow, I think I know what it is. Okay, I got this. Thanks. It was awesome. I agree, or I disagree, or let's have a, talk, a good, you know, debate about it. So that's, this is like the crowd. And then, and then the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, um, yeah, you never really told us much of anything. We think we get it, but we're really kind of confused. Can you enlighten us? And he's like, all right. 
Come, let, let's talk about this. Now, this is where Jesus gets his crew, where he becomes intimate with them and begins to explain and reveals his teaching. Are you with me so far? So, you guys ready for this? I was hesitant because I know where people stand on, on this, so I'll be very, very, very extra careful. So Jesus is inviting his disciples, come deeper. And what he says is not that it's not true, but whenever there's revelation to it, it changes our assumptions. And so we go from information to assumption to revelation. Now this is a revelation. So now I can say, I can read the same 10 things. God's word is unifying and divisive, yet powerful. Not everybody agrees with God's word. In fact, it makes some people very angry. Number three, in some places, God's word is legal to have and is encouraged to use, while in other places, God's word is forbidden, illegal, and punishable by death. When improperly used, God's word can bring much destruction and chaos so that it generates many debates. With some, God's word is the last thing on their mind, and with others, it's the first thing that they go to. Number six, some are very afraid to go near God's word, while others embrace it without fear. People who have God's word, it's typically tucked away and beyond reach. And then they pull out verses in emergency or crisis situations. Some carry God's word openly. Others conceal carry it. And others would not be caught dead with it. God's word makes people uncomfortable and even pushes them over the edge. The last one is God's word is contagious. So once you start using it, it's hard to go back because it changes your life. As I was thinking about the church in general's distance with Jesus and the lack of intimacy that we have with the one who saves us, I was wondering, why is it the case? Why is it that we can profess Jesus as our Savior, but don't go deep with him? Why is it that we believe and stay in believing? And that is why I think the church is in the condition that it's in. And this is why I think that a lot of us in this room or who are watching are where we are. We love to talk. We love to rally behind in groups. But then when we go our way, we can be sure 
that Jesus is not the Lord over our lives. And I think that is a very scary part to be because we're saved so we're comfortable, but we're not going deep. And so we fall on grace. And then we say, if God is blessing me, then everything must be good. Well, there's a verse for that. I want to read with you Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the teacher part of Jesus. Why do you call me good? Jesus being a smart aleck here. And truthful. And saying that he is God. All in this one little response. He says, no one is good except God. So let me answer the question for you. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. I know those, God. I know those. I've studied them. I'm good with them. I've even followed them. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go. He's moving from, I know you know these things, to go. And this is where there's a disconnection. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 21. Or, then he was dismayed, verse 22, by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler, and I would say, we tend to not align ourselves with the rich young ruler, right? Because he went away and we're like, well, that's not us. But I think we maybe align ourselves and we are more like the rich young ruler than we think. Like, just for briefly on the surface. One, he's rich. Yeah, you want to be? Yeah. Two, he's young. Three, he's ruler. That means he has some sort of position. He has some sort of influence. He's making things happen. So he says... Jesus says, you, you lack one thing. Your heart is taken by other things. Your heart is misplaced. And then he invites him to come. He says, deal with your heart and then come. Basically saying, get close to me. Follow me. Begin doing what I'm doing. This is a very, very personal invitation that requires knowing, but more than that, it requires revelation. It requires application. 
it requires that we bear fruit. Who's with me so far? This rich young ruler would choose blessing over obedience. But you can't have one without the other. He would choose freedom over following Jesus. He would rather choose the gifts than going and following the gift giver. Now, I want to look at another character found in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, amazing, he's teaching again, he was standing by Lake uh, Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to uh, Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now watch this. He's teaching the crowd. We're back to this crowd situation. But then he takes Simon and he says, I'm going to invite you to come with me deeper. And just like you would expect, there's resistance. Master, we we worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But... If you say so, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Watch this. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything. This is where the rich young ruler and Peter part ways. Left everything and followed him. The difference between these two people, it could be summed up in one word. And that word is lordship. Lordship. Peter was willing to make Jesus the Lord over his life. And the rich young ruler was not willing. He wanted to believe. He wanted to learn. But he did not want to become his disciple. Because when you become someone's disciples, they become Lord over you. They guide you. They teach you. 
They show you. They empower you. It's an obedience relationship, not just an information or a content relationship. Peter was willing to obey. Now, I want to read Luke 14, verses 25, and this doesn't have to be up on the screen, but it says, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone, so now this is a, he's addressing the, the large crowd. Back to the large crowd. You see this? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross in Jesus' day signified pain, signified justice, signified you not having control of your life, of your destiny. Reading through it through the lens post-crucifixion, we have a different you know, view of the cross. But here is the challenge, and, 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 and the thought behind this is that it is going to cost you to follow Jesus. It is going to cost you to follow Jesus. It is a decision that you have to make knowing that it's going to cost you, it's going to impact you. So even though there are emotions that are associated with this decision, it is still a decision whether or not there are emotions. And it is the decision that we have to submit and surrender to someone other than ourselves. We have to submit and to surrender and to place trust to someone other than ourselves. Who is calling the shots in your life? Subconsciously, we want to say Jesus, but practically. The, anal the analogy goes, Jesus take the wheel. I guess that's a song too. And so, how many of us can say this morning that actually I have the wheel of my life? You don't have to raise your hand, but just a, a heart check. Say, yeah, yeah I, gave, I have the wheel. My husband used to have it, or my wife used to have it. Now I have the wheel. My boss used to have it. I quit. Now I have the wheel. Um, so the question is, and the thinking is, is where is Jesus? With some of us, Jesus is nowhere near, nowhere to be found. That's true. It was like that for all of us at some point. For others, Jesus is like that uh, trunk monkey. We keep him, but we pull him out when we need him. For others, Jesus is our backseat driver, right? Or our co-pilot. We do things together. We're a team. <laughs> you know where you're going. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. But then maybe for others, you can say, yes, Jesus does have the wheel to my life. But then the real question is, what kind of backseat driver are you? Jesus is taking your car. Let's go and forgive. Whoa, 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 hold. Don't go there. Don't go there. Jesus would say, come, deal with your past. I don't want to touch my past. I'm triggered. 
Jesus driving your car, things are good. Let's deal with your addiction. Oh, that was a wrong turn. There were no turn on red, Jesus. Jesus, slow, slow, slow down. Hold on, Jesus. Hurry up, go faster. We're late. Come on, turn right. Get off the exit. I know a better way. There's a detour. Hey, Jesus, come on. Chop, chop. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I think most of us, many of us, and hopefully it's changing, that we feel comfortable saying that Jesus has the wheel, but we are steering the car from the back seat. And what that says is that we want to remain the Lord over our life. That's all it says. I do not want to give up my throne to someone else. The reason you won't give up your throne to another human being is because you don't trust them, right? So the reason that you don't give up your throne to Jesus is because you do not trust him. But I trust him. Okay, there's a verse for that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you who he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, and when the flood occurred, and the, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of the house was great. Jesus is saying that if you don't follow me, all you build will be lost. If you follow me, all that I built will be yours. That sounds like a great exchange. That sounds like an amazing exchange. In fact, that's what baptism is. We get saved through faith, but baptism is our first act of obedience where we take our allegiance and we say that Jesus, you have our attention, you have our allegiance. You become Lord because, because baptism is an act of obedience. And when we're obeying him, he is Lord. So our obedience makes him Lord. That means that we are in control of whether or not Jesus is Lord. That's a sobering thought because Jesus relies on our free will to to dethrone ourselves and to enthrone him so that he can be where he really belongs. We know this verse, right? John 8, 32. I want to have this on there. You will know the truth, right? And everybody together. Such an encouraging Verse, but what does verse 31 say? I think it's in here. Then Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, If you continue in my word and you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth. 
and the truth then is able to set you free. This is about focusing on Jesus so that we can obey Jesus. The disciple is someone who lives a Jesus-focused, Jesus-centered life because you become like the thing or the one that you focus on. You become what you chase, what you devote yourself to. Focus simply means to intentionally take your attention off distractions and place it on that which is most important. When you start to focus on what Jesus has done for you, you naturally begin to change and be transformed to become more like him. Now, I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to have the band come up. Um, Now, when you talk about obedience, you may fall under three categories. Because we, we can obey God out of three places, right? First place, we can obey God, obey Jesus, out of fear, right? Out of fear. We're terrified of getting it wrong. We're maybe terrified of God himself. We don't want to face the consequences if we don't obey God. We always question, did I get it right? Oh, I hope I don't get it wrong. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't want to get into trouble. This is the orphan, the orphan spirit that's obeying Jesus out of fear. And many people obey Jesus out of fear. And it breaks God's heart. Second place is that we can obey God out of duty. That's a religion. That's like saying, man, yeah, of course I have to do this for God because, well, you know, God died for me, so I, uh, yeah, it's my duty. It's my duty to show up. It's my duty to read the Bible. It's my duty to pray. It's my duty, my duty, my duty. I got to do this. I got to do this for the family. I gotta do this. It's it's my obligation, my duty. I don't want to, but I gotta do it. So then this message is falling on broken ears where you're like, ah, yes, of course, quit pounding this obedience stuff. It's annoying. I know I gotta do it. I'm doing it, right? Leave me alone. And so God wants to free you if you're wanting to obey or if you are obeying out of fear, or if you are obeying out of duty. There's a third way, and this is obedience out of love. What Jesus is saying is that once you fall in love with me, you will not have a problem following me and obeying me and trusting me and allowing me to lead you 
Once you fall in love with me, you will understand that I'm so close to you, that I've blessed you, not because you're doing things right, but because I love you. Love is the best motivator for obedience. Then it becomes really hard for us to disobey God because we love him. 1 John 5 says this, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commands. For this is a love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. To obey him is not a burden because it's from love for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world which is our faith so God is inviting us to a healthy discipleship a healthy way of saying God we're gonna go after you we're gonna be obedient to you and I know that this is where I am this is where God is leading us as a church Discipleship is not an option for us. It is, it is the core, the rallying cry that we're encouraging and trying to convince everyone to become disciples of Jesus. Like this will change your life. And many times when someone says discipling, it's like this box when you thought you knew what was in there. But I promise you, we have, about, like we have over 40% of our church is in discipleship right now. And I'm telling you, I get so much refreshing from those moments when we meet up in this place or in other places and just talk about what God is doing, talk about what we're reading, talk about how God is answering prayers when we bring up issues and concerns with one another, when we pray for one another, when we come bearing God's stories of the ways that God has showed up, how in those environments we see relationships that are mended, people that are healed, people who are bound, become set free. But this is the story of, of love. Coming to church, showing up on a Sunday. Are you doing it out of fear because you hate what your spouse may tell you when you get home or your parents or this or that? You're doing it out of duty because that is the right thing to do on Sunday. My parents did it, their parents did it. We are a Christian nation, we're this and this and I'm gonna be out of duty. Or are you here because you love the Lord, you love his people, you love to be where his people are. It is a question of love. It is always the question of love. The reason Jesus was obedient, even the Bible says, even till death, because for God so loved the world. And love takes us into these beautiful places with Jesus. So here's just a question. When was the last time you actually enjoyed God. When was the last time that you just wanted to sit there with him forever? When was the last time you opened up this book, the word that doesn't fall void, it produces what it's designed to do. It's never gonna go stale or flat. When was the last time you were reading this and you couldn't get enough of it? You're reading it and God's showing up, answering questions. 
God's character, God's heart is revealed, and you're reading, you're just like, no wonder talks about eating the word of God, letting it not consuming it and letting it not depart from our mouth, devouring his word. I'm telling you, we have been misled, and God wants to take our world and the things of the world that's in our lives and exchange it for his kingdom. And that's what discipleship is. It's stepping into the kingdom of God. And so, of course, it starts with giving your life to Jesus. That's the first step of surrender to him as a savior. Giving your life, giving your eternity to him. And then the act of obedience, being baptized, becoming his disciple, learning, getting revelation, having those experiences, and then watching your life transformed, and then you go back to learn more, to have more revelation, have more experience, to have more transformation. And you know that you've stepped over and are aligning your life with what Jesus has when you want to share this journey with another person. And so then you sacrificially take time and you say, listen, God has so much more for you. This God through you concept is not this vision statement that's just there. No, the God through you is life-changing. God working in you, working through you, it's beautiful. And the ways that God shows up, the ways that God answers prayers, I can't even use words to describe it because it has to be experienced. And so on our ninth birthday here, nine years as a church, a local church, with a lot of ups and downs, a lot of plans that didn't happen, a lot of things and more that did happen, we celebrate what God has done, but we are so excited for what God is getting ready to do in the next years of our church. And I would like encourage all of us here to step into all that God has for us. 